1: Good morning, it's Monday the 22nd of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke,
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Ron DeSantis exits the race for the White House as Trump cements his Republican frontrunner status.
1: Germans hold mass protests to decry reported discussions of an anti-immigrant deportation plan that echoes Nazi policies.
2: Plus, the broken broker business. We have a special report on why London's listed firms... Are on the hunt for new advisers.
1: Let's start with a roundup of our top stories.
2: Ron DeSantis has pulled out of the U.S. presidential race and endorsed Donald Trump. His exit narrows the Republican field to two ahead of the primary vote in New Hampshire tomorrow. In a video announcing his withdrawal, the Florida governor attacked Trump's remaining Republican rival.
3: He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackaged form of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over.
2: DeSantis's exit marks a stunning turnaround for a man who two years ago was described as the future of the Republican Party.
1: Nikki Haley, Donald Trump's other rival for the nomination, has ramped up her attacks on the former president. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. She is really focusing on Trump's mental acuity. She says he's not the same man now that he was when she served in his cabinet.
0: So I always told him what I thought was in the best interest of the country when I was in his cabinet. But this is different. I mean, we're seeing he's just not at the same level he was at 2016. I think we're seeing some of that um, decline. But more than that, what I'll say is focus on the fact that no matter what it is, chaos follows him.
1: Trump has responded that he feels mentally stronger than he did 25 years ago. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio.
2: Chris Hone's British TCI fund management made more profit than any other hedge fund last year. Industry estimates from LCH Investments suggest the firm made an estimated $12.9 billion. Bloomberg's James Wilcock has the details. TCI's success marks another good year for larger asset managers. The top 20 hedge funds generated 83%
4: of the gains made by all hedge funds over the past three years but bigger may not be better forever. Heavily levered bets and a crowded market have drawn the attention of sceptical traders and regulators. Even Citadel's Ken Griffin acknowledged the risk at the Bloomberg New Economy Forum in November. I definitely don't think the word systemic applies. I think, could you see the multi manager hedge funds take a, a joint 10, 15, 20% hit to their equity? It's possible. That's painful, but not systemic. Griffin's fund Citadel ranks first on LCH's list for having made the most money since its launch. In London, James Wilcock, Bloomberg Radio.
1: Now winds of up to 99 miles per hour have led to flight and rail services being cancelled or delayed in many parts of the UK. Danger to life amber warnings were also in place overnight as storm Aisha brought heavy rain and strong winds. Sam Johnson from the RNLI Lifeboat Charity is warning people to be careful along the coast
4: large swells or waves, is when we're most likely to see debris blowing um, into pedestrian areas, and that's going to be when there's going to be a real risk to life.
1: Sam Johnson from the RNLI speaking there. Travellers flying to the UK and Ireland are also being forced into diversions and even to different countries as the storm has thrown planes off course. A social media post from Dublin Airport said that while it remains open, the weather is posing a significant challenge to both departing and arriving flights.
2: Hundreds of thousands of people in Germany took part in protests over the weekend against a far-right deportation plan. The demonstrations are in response to revelations that politicians from the Alternative for Germany party, along with members of the main opposition Christian Democrats, discussed a controversial re-migration scheme at a recent meeting. One protester said they'd gathered out of concern for the future.
5: Above all, we are here for the grandchildren, that they still have a future worth living, that they can continue to enjoy a constitutional state, democracy, human rights and a colourful society. That is our concern here.
2: Protester Inge-Lynn there speaking at a rally in Berlin. Discussions about the scheme, which took place at a meeting in November, according to the media organisation Corrective, included a proposal for mass deportations of asylum seekers and other foreigners with the right to reside in Germany, as well as some German nationals. The AFD is currently second in national opinion polls, while support for Chancellor Olaf Scholz's three-party coalition has weakened.
1: A White House advisor says that U.S. military action to deter groups such as Yemen's Houthi rebels will take time. Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer also hinted that additional measures are coming soon. I think
4: one
3: thing that's important to keep in mind is deterrence is, is not a light switch. It, it requires a pattern and a practice of activity uh, over time and can't be assessed uh, based on a snapshot of what's happening at any
4: given moment.
1: Finers' comments are broadly in line with Joe Biden's acknowledgement last week that Houthi missile and drone attacks are unlikely to stop immediately. Iran-backed militias are also carrying out other attacks in the region, including one in western Iraq on Saturday, which injured at least two US service members. Now, according to people familiar with the discussions, the US and the UK are exploring ways to step up their campaign against the Houthis, but without provoking a broader war.
2: Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected terms presented by Hamas for a new hostage deal. The Israeli Prime Minister says the proposal was unacceptable. Hamas is demanding, in exchange for the release of our hostages, the end of the war, the
1: withdrawal of our forces from Gaza. Were we to agree to this, our soldiers would have fallen in vain. and The next October 7 would only be a question of time.
2: Netanyahu's rejection of the deal comes as public and political pressure to bring the captives back home has been rapidly increasing over the past several days. 132 Israeli hostages remain in Gaza, though 27 are known to have died. Hamas's long-standing position has been that any deal with Israel would require a ceasefire first. So in a moment, we're going to get more on that decision by Ron DeSantis to pull out of the Republican race in the United States. But ahead of this week's results in the luxury giant LVMH, part of a bumper set of results we're going Mm. to be having this week, Peace By Our Opinion columnist Andrea Felstead caught my eye. She asks, is it time to break up LVMH? She says the group is suffering from a conglomerate discount because of the wide range of brands it has under its roof. Louis Vuitton for example accounts for 52% of its sales. Dior is another juggernaut Mm -hmm. but it has all these other businesses the likes of Fendi, Sephora Tiffany that come under its roof and they're effectively, in Andrea's word being thrown in for nothing into LVMH's valuation.
1: Yes, but surely this all has a great deal to do with Bernard Arnault and to do with the uh, family. You know, he has five children that he has Mm -hmm. groomed uh, to lead this business. So um, interesting that Andrea says maybe for shareholders it might be better, but would that really be the plan for the family? Well,
2: it might solve the succession problem that Bernard Mm -hmm. Arnault was presenting himself with as well. The biggest question though that Andrea Wright says is whether um, Arnault Sr. would really take an axe to the empire that he spent 40 years Mm -hmm. building.
1: Yeah, it's a really great piece. Uh, Have a read of it on the Bloomberg Terminal this morning. Now, Donald Trump seems to be on a quicker path to the Republican presidential nomination than he was eight years ago after Ron DeSantis dropped out of the 2024 race over the weekend. Joining us now to discuss is Bloomberg's EMEA news director, Roslyn Matheson. Good morning, Ros. Good to have you with us. Um, with DeSantis dropping out and backing Trump, I mean, what hope does Nikki Haley have of beating Trump to the Republican nomination?
5: Well, it certainly has to be an ever increasingly narrow window for Nikki Haley here to to have a pathway to the Republican nomination. The, the key names who've been dropping out, including, of course, the biggest one of all so far, Ron DeSantis, are moving to endorse Donald Trump, to support Donald Trump, to throw their weight behind him. And and so her field of supporters, at least within that part of the Republican Party, seems to be fading. She does have a lot of support outside the party, though. Key figures on Wall Street. are still trying to raise money for her to keep her campaign going. She's seen as sort of the main non-Trump alternative amongst that never-Trump section of the party who want to have someone else uh, in contention beyond New Hampshire. Of course, her polling there is all right. Uh, She's polling around 35 to 38% in New Hampshire. Trump, those polling around 50%, 50 to 52%. And that pretty much puts him in a lock for New Hampshire. Um, it, it is a more sort of moderate Republican area, you want to say, so possibly some supporters for her, but the gap probably is just too big for her to narrow. The question is how well does she place in New Hampshire if she comes second? Is it close enough to keep her campaign going, or is it really the point where she also has to throw in the towel? Mm-hmm.
2: What went wrong for Ron DeSantis? His campaign seemed to hit quite a lot of speed bumps from where he started as being vaunted as, you know being the future of the Republican Party.
5: Well, it's interesting because only about a year ago, we- all the talk was about DeSantis. It was like this man is young, he's charismatic, he's sort of a a version of Trump himself, um, and he would be the one to beat. And no one was really talking about Donald Trump as a serious contender for 2024 and how quickly that has changed, perhaps because Ron DeSantis tried to out-Trump Trump. Trump. Um, In fact, he is in some ways more right-wing and more conservative ideologically than, than Donald Trump is. But the problem was he couldn't translate his success in Florida to the national level. His campaign just wasn't able to take his message. Uh, The people in the rest of America want to know about the economy. He didn't have a lot of policies on the economic front. Uh, And so he just struggled to get traction outside Florida. He did sort of seem to come across better in most recent weeks. But yeah, he really had given a lot of the runway to Trump um, over a period of at least six to eight months.
1: Yeah. A lot of people were surprised by the Trump um, victory in 2016. Countries around the world are not going to be caught out again, though. So how globally are people thinking about perhaps a second Trump White House?
5: Well, that's right. There's a lot of preparation going on already. We know that a lot of countries are sending officials, delegations, uh, not just to Washington, but out to key parts of America to talk to officials there to try and understand what does another Trump presidency look like? What does it mean for economic policy? What does it mean for trade? What does it mean for, uh, for security around the region? I mean, if Donald Trump comes back to the White House, it's in a very different world than when he was in it. There's two world wars going on you know, that he needs to deal with. There's the war of Russia's war in Ukraine. There's the Israel-Hamas conflict going on, uh, trade, supply chains, uh, food, security, all of that looks very different than when he was president. But it, there are similar issues, including the rise of China. And so you can see at least now countries perhaps have a better, better sense of what to anticipate from Donald Trump and therefore at least they're going in better prepared. Okay.
2: Rosalind Matheson, our EMEA News Director. Thank you very much.
0: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc.
3: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
1: Now, companies listed on the London Stock Exchange are increasingly looking to switch advisors amid growing concerns over the viability of corporate brokers. These are the boutique firms that shepherd public businesses through their interactions with investors in the city. Joining us now to discuss this is Bloomberg's breaking news editor, Leo Kensherper, who's been looking into this. Leo, good morning. Just firstly, what exactly do corporate brokers do?
4: Caroline, as you mentioned, they are the sort of key advisors that help firms Interact with investors in the city. They've been around for centuries and they largely offer four types of key services it's uh, advisory, so classic strategic MA advisory, and uh, research, sales, and also execution of uh, trades and that will be in UK equities uh, in particular and one of their sort of absolute core tasks is to get new shareholders on a company's register so they really have to deliver on that and you might have mentioned uh, as well that it's a requirement for companies to have those corporate brokers on So so if a company loses their corporate broker they might get their shares suspended if they don't find a new one corporate brokers like those mandates because they're really sticky they tend to last for about a decade Mm -hmm. and uh, when their companies get involved in
2: M&A or equity raises, they can earn very decent fees on that. Okay, so the corporate broking world has been reshaped substantially in the the current downturn. What's changed and what are the concerns of listed companies who are looking at this? Yes, so one of the biggest developments sort of in the last 12 months was Deutsche Bank
4: coming in and buying Numis, which was sort of in between the bulge brackets, the the tier one investment banks in the city, and the mid-cap brokers. Uh, We're talking about 60 or so mid-cap brokers in the city of London and a few tier one investment banks. There's also um, very notable consolidation between smaller players. Two examples here. There's Cavendish, which has been created by the merger of Chankers and Fincap, two notable names, and then there, uh, last week we had the merger between Pamio Gordon, uh, which is almost 150 years old, Cameron's David Cameron's father and grandfather had jobs there. It's owned by Bob Diamond, the former Barclays mm. CEO, and they have merged with Librem. And uh, those are sort of like the biggest deals that happened in the past 12 months and definitely some consolidation going on in that space right now.
1: Okay, that's really interesting. Didn't know about Cameron's father, yeah. grandfather. So then some of the brokers are being quite vocal, though, about what they want done by government and regulators to basically help them in their situation? You say there's lots of consolidation going on. What are they asking for?
4: Yes. So I haven't heard a single one asking for more supply side measures, to be fair, so as you know, we have the Edinburgh reforms, loser t- uh, loser IPO rules, the reversal of e- EU regulations on trading and research fees, uh, all this talk about great British ISA. So enough on the so- supply side. And you may have heard this before, but uh, what one executive told me in particular, sort of on the demand side, we need a cultural change mm. and that won't happen overnight. One example the executive gave me was no one in Britain really knows what's in their corporate pension. And, you know, I wish I wish that wasn't true, but it's, it's, it's true in my case. But in the U.S., Everybody talks about what's in their 401Ks. So that's something that would have to change in order to get demand up for UK equities. So where does the industry go from here?
2: What briefly should we be looking out for this year?
4: So very briefly, if there's no significant market comeback, we'll see more consolidation. As I said, there's dozens of of smaller firms that cater to small cap, so we'll see more deal-making among them if there's no comeback in in, uh, demand for fundraisings and IPOs.
1: Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke.
2: And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day. Right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.